And it says this, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus, the Lord said to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, the king of Tyre, the king of Sidon, by the hand of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now, I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. I have given him also the beasts of the fields to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his sons and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, your sorcerers, whom are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you with the result that you will be removed far from your land, and I will drive you out, and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land to work it and to dwell there, declares the Lord. To Zedekiah, king of Judah, I spoke in like manner. Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why will you and your people die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence? As the Lord has spoken concerning any nation that will not serve the king of Babylon. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it's a lie that they are prophesying to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord, but they are prophesying falsely in my name with the result that I will drive you out and you will perish, you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. This is the word of God. Thanks for coming. You can be seated. Now, as you're being seated, please pray with me because I want to second what we sang in this last song, all we have in Christ is Christ, and, and that's all we need, right? And as we ask for God's help, please bow with me. Father, I want to ask for your help this morning that you will bless this message. Lord, it is a wonderful message, but Lord, your messenger needs help presenting how wonderful this message is this morning. So I pray that you would give me grace to present this rightly to your people, to give them a good, real, healthy diet of the word of God. Lord, your sheep, your people need to be fed by your hand, and I pray that your messenger this morning would feed them rightly. And I pray that all of us would have ears to hear, hearts that are soft and ready to submit and hear the truth of the word of God and follow it. And Lord, as we just sang, the strength to follow your commands could never come from us. So I pray that you would give us that strength to walk in grace and in truth and in obedience. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the truth is we have a lot of ground to cover this morning and this message, the, the message that's presented here, you could come at it from a few different angles, but it's very clear the angle that I'm going to be coming at it this morning and that angle that I'm going to be coming at it this morning is wrapped up in the title of this message. And the title is this, Submitting to God's Word Despite What We Feel, What We Want, or What We Hear. Submitting to God's Word Despite What You Feel, Despite What You Want, and Despite What You Hear. That's the heart behind this message this morning, and that's really the heart behind Jeremiah's message to the people, because they were to submit to this message. They didn't feel like they wanted to. 
And they, they didn't feel it, they didn't want it, and everything they were hearing was contrary to what Jeremiah was saying. And that's really the truth of God's word. In our era, in our day, so much about the heart of sinful man feels differently, wants differently, and hears differently than what God says in his word. But it's God's word that we need. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, let's go ahead and jump right in. There's so much here, and there's so much I want to say. And I pray that God will help us all to receive it rightly and me to present it rightly. Verse 2 says, thus says the Lord to me. This is to Jeremiah. God spoke to him once again, and he says a command to him to make something before he says something. Usually, he just says to say something. This time, he says to make something. This time, he's given one of those visual presentations to bring along with the message. And what's he supposed to do? It says in verse 2, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. So Jeremiah was to make this yoke. What's a yoke? Well, a yoke is something that they would put on an animal's neck to drive the animal with through a field because the yoke was attached to a plow and the animal was strong enough to pull that plow through the dirt, right? But this yoke on this animal kept it bound to either something else being um, what it's pulled through the dirt or to another animal too. Usually there were two animals pulling this through uh, through the dirt, the plow through the dirt. And so this yoke was to represent you people are going to have to yoke yourself to King Nebuchadnezzar. You're not going to want to do it. But this is what you have to do if you're going to live because you're now to this point where he's coming. I've told you again and again that your sin is making this punishment come upon you. And so now you have to submit to what I'm doing if you're going to live. And so that's what this yoke represents. And he had to wear this as he went there. Followers of the Lord are going to look different from the culture sometimes and sometimes look strange to the culture, just like Jeremiah looked strange wearing a yoke around his neck, didn't he? But he did it because the Lord said to do it, and he trusted the Lord. And it was a visual proclamation to them, hey, this is what the Lord says. And the prophets were famous for doing this of old, too. Uh, a prophet also had to tie himself up once, and uh, other prophets have done even other, <laughs> other things. If you know your Old Testament, you know the one I'm talking about. Uh, that, was a, that was a very different message that he had to represent to them. And I'm glad, I, I'm, I'm just glad I'm not an Old Testament prophet to be to be honest with you, their, their lives were pretty hard sometimes. And he says this to send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, the kings of Tyre, the king of Sidon, by the hand of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah. So what's happening is this. Listen, let me give you a bit of history. Nebuchadnezzar has already come and taken some people from Jerusalem. And he's already set up some of his rules too. Kind of like in the New Testament, when the Romans invaded a land, they came in and they said, you've got two options. Number one, um, we'll kill you. Or number two, we are going to invade you. And we're going to let you kind of live like sort of how you want to, but under our authority. And that's what was happening during the days of Jesus, remember? The Romans were in charge. But the Jews were still able to do Jewish stuff. But not everything they wanted to do. That's why they had to deliver Jesus over to the Romans because they were not given the authority to put people to death. So they had to let Rome put Jesus to death. Why couldn't they put people to death? Well, because the Romans said, hey, you don't get to do exactly what you want to do while we're over you. We're going to let you do some things that you want to do, but not everything you want to do. You can't put anybody to death. That's up to us. And so Nebuchadnezzar had already started to do some of those things in the nations. Well, the people are gathering together in Jerusalem and saying, hey, why don't we team up against this big bully and let's tell him what we think about him. Let's try to defeat him. So that's what's going on here. 
And so God sends a message to all these people while they're gathered all together to say, let's fight against Nebuchadnezzar with the message of, you better submit to Nebuchadnezzar because he's my hammer in my hand right now to dish out the justice that all of you deserve. And I'm using him right now. And you need to know that. And you need to submit to that. And so that's what he had to go say. At a meeting that was all about how do we kill Nebuchadnezzar, he's going there saying, you actually need to submit to Nebuchadnezzar. That's not very different from the modern day follower of the Lord either. We have a message that's very contrary to what the culture is saying and thinking and wanting to, right? Our message is <laughs> very counter-cultural in so many ways. Nothing much has changed. <clears throat> and so we go in verse 4. Give them this charge for their masters, meaning, hey, all of you representatives who've come here for this meeting, take this message back to your leaders. Because the leaders weren't there, of course, they sent their delegates. That's what leaders do. Take this message back. What's the message? Look, verse 4, second part of verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you were to say to your masters. Now, if he had not said anything in verse 5, what starts out verse 5, verse 4 would have been enough. What do I mean? Okay, listen. <clears throat> when he says, thus says the Lord of hosts. Look at it there in your Bible. It doesn't come through on what's up here. It doesn't put all capitals for the Lord there. But if you look in your Bible at chapter 27, verse 4, you'll see when it says the Lord of hosts, that Lord is all capitals. That's Yahweh. That's the English translators telling us readers, hey, in the original Hebrew, this is the special name of God, Yahweh. And he's calling himself Yahweh of hosts. I'm the Lord of all the heavenly hosts. So that's him going back to the authority he has just in his person. Tell them, thus says Yahweh of hosts. This is him saying, this is the authority of who I am in my person. And then he says this, the God of Israel. This is him saying, this is the authority I have over my people. So he's starting out with a two-layered approach here. This is the authority I have to say this. The authority of my person, and this is the authority I have to say this as God of my people Israel. So if, if he had just come with that as the precursor of his message, that wouldn't have been enough. But he goes on a third level of authority here in verse 5. Look at verse 5. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever seems right to me. So now he's going on a third level of authority, which is actually the original level of authority with him as creator. He's saying, and I also have the authority as creator of everything you see and everything that you are. I made you. I have authority to do and to say what I'm about to do and say. Because I own it all. It's all mine. Nebuchadnezzar is mine. You're mine. The beasts of the field are mine. And I give them to whomever I wish. And as however it seems good to me. And we might say, I don't like that. I don't like that God just basically gets to say, this is all mine and I'll do what I want to with it. I don't like that. Well, first of all, it doesn't matter what you like or don't like because your likes and dislikes, as you know, differ from one day to another, from one season to another, and you're very wishy-washy. And on top of that, you know that you're sinful, that you were born sinful. Now, this is what we know about God. He's always right and he's always good. And everything he does is righteous altogether. And so he can't do anything wrong. He can't think anything wrong, and he can't want anything wrong. So everything he does is actually right. So what he's doing here is right. So anytime we see our wants and likes differing from God's, it's not God who needs to change. It's not God who needs to be judged. It's us. And the sooner we get that, the happier we are, and the more joyful we are, and the more at peace we are. 
So the authority of his person, the authority of his pe- over his people, and the authority of him as a creator, he can do what he wants to do. And he's, he's saying, I've given all these lands into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Not because he's good, but because he, God wanted to. And God's, God's using him right now. And the truth is, God's even going to judge Nebuchadnezzar later on. That's what he says in verse 7. All the nations are going to serve him until his time comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. And that's also God's will. Now those are the facts. Okay? Those are the facts of this, of this section. That's what is. God has determined it. That is the truth. But now what's next? What's next is this in verse 8. Look what verse 8 starts with. The word, but. But if any nation will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, put its neck under its yoke, then I will punish it. So this part is still being decided. What was prior to this is facts. Firm. That's the way it is. But the next part's contingent. This next part, hey, it's still being decided. And it's all based on whether or not they will submit to God's word. Despite what they feel despite what they want, and despite what they hear. This next part, it can change. It can change. It's dependent upon what they do. And he tells them what's going to happen if they don't. I'm going to punish them. Look, with the sword, if the sword doesn't finish them all off, what's next? With famine. No rain, so there's no food. If that doesn't finish them all off with pestilence, diseases, and the like. God's saying, this triple threat that's coming, you won't survive it. What I'm telling you is, submit to this, my will, and you'll live. You'll live. Now, is it going to be as good as you want it to be? Well, no, because you've made it as bad as you can make it. I mean, they have. They've refused prophet after prophet. They've refused God's patience after patience. They've refused it all. And God's saying, okay, well, well now listen. Here's your, only, here's your only other option. Submit to the punishment I'm bringing upon you, and you'll live. You'll actually get to stay on your own land. Like the Jews did in the New Testament under the rules of the Romans. They're in their own land. They submitted And they were able to stay in their own land and work it and dwell there, like he says in verse 11. And he sends this to the king as well. He gets to talk to the king himself too, Zedekiah. gets to talk to him face to face and tell this same message to him. That's what verses 12 through 15 cover. Unfortunately, once again, his message is tossed by the wayside as we see later on in the book of Jeremiah. But I want to give us some examples. I want to show you some examples from Scripture of people who didn't submit to the Word of God despite what they felt, despite what they wanted, and despite what they heard. Because what... Let me address this. I didn't. I skipped over it. Forgive me. What were they hearing? They were hearing, verse 9... Don't listen to your prophets, diviners, dreamers, fortune tellers, sorcerers, all those people. They were going to all of them to get advice. When we were missionaries in Belize, it was unfortunately very common for the churchgoers to not only pray to God and ask God to heal them or help them with maybe an earache or something that's going on with their babies or something like that. But then they would also go to the local man that they actually called the witch doctor, someone who practiced obia. That's what they called it there, obia. They would go to him too, and he would tell them things and blow smoke on them and maybe rub pepper in their wounds or something like that. Did all these strange things. They would go to him too. See, they wanted to cover all their bases. See, I want to try Jesus. I'll I'll give Jesus a little chance. But just in case Jesus doesn't work, I'm going to try this guy too, you know. Listen, Christianity is a very exclusive way. 
It is the one way for man to be saved. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's one way to be saved. There's only one God who we follow. And there's only one truth. Yeah, I said it. See, that'll get you crucified in our, our culture. Everything I just said will get you straight up crucified in our culture. But guess what? We still say it. We still believe it. And we say it lovingly and with compassion. Ray Comfort said when you're witnessing to people, he says, if you can't have tears in your eyes, at least have tears in your voice when speaking to people about the truth. I'm not saying we go around and we slap people with the truth and say, I've got the one truth, you moron. No. I know. I know. You feel that way sometimes. (laughs) But you're not supposed to feel that way or think that way and definitely not talk that way. The truth is, you were even worse a moron once, and so was I. Oh, what a fool Cohen was. Horrible, egotistical, selfish, pitiable fool. And I'd still be that way if God hadn't loved me first. So we go to them with this message, and we present this message so that they don't just see Jesus as one other option among the many. Yeah, I'll try Jesus, but I'll also try some fortune tellers and sorcerers. But this is a very popular way. I don't know if you noticed a few years ago, the local fortune teller down the road, I don't know, her, I'm guessing it's a her. Statistically, they're females, okay? Going off statistics. Got an upgrade. She's in a bigger, nicer building now with fancier neon, just further down the road. She's still there and apparently more successful or took out a bigger loan. I don't know. But they're there I can almost guarantee you a larger percentage of people walking through her door than should be are also churchgoers. And it shouldn't be that way. And this is what the people are doing in this day. We just want to cover all our bases. We'll hear the prophets, sorcerers, diviners, all these people. And people were doing it down in Belize. And it happens here too, probably just in a bit more sophisticated looking way. And it shouldn't be that way. There's one way. There's one truth. So why would you go to any other Thing that calls itself truth. If you've got what's pure, if you've got what's pure, why would you take anything that's impure? Why would you substitute any impurities besides what's pure? Why would you look for anything else when you've got the best? Why? Because you don't think you've got the best. That's what it boils down to. Pray that God will show you his one truth is sufficient. That's why we have to, of course, submit to it. And they weren't. They were going off what they felt, they were going off what they wanted, and they were going off what they hear. I want to show you an example of somebody who went off his feelings instead of submitting to the Word of God and how it worked out for him. Then I'm going to show you someone who went off what he wanted instead of, instead of following the Word of God and see how it worked out for him. Then I'm going to show you somebody who went off what he heard instead of submitting to the Word of God and see how it worked out for him. So feeling, wanting, hearing. I want to show you three examples from Scripture. Let's talk about someone who went off what he felt instead of submitting to God's Word and see how it worked out. Let's talk about King Saul. Remember King Saul? Not Saul in the New Testament who later became Paul, but King Saul, the guy who was king before King David. Remember King Saul? He stood head and shoulders above all the other men. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, I believe. Well, Saul was made king by Samuel the prophet. And he was told, King Saul was told, to go fight against God's enemies, the Amalekites. And God was very clear with his instruction to King Saul. He said, when you defeat the Amalekites, wipe them out completely. Their king, King Agag, all the people, even all the animals, commit them all to destruction. The end, period. This is my command. Well... King Saul goes against the Amalekites and has a great victory. He destroys the people. But he keeps alive King Agag, because that was custom there in that day. And the people have a desire to keep alive the best animals. After all, why destroy the good animals? They're so beautiful. Oh, gosh, they're so wonderful. How can we commit them to destruction? It would just hurt our hearts. So they don't. Well, before Samuel even goes there, that night, the Lord tells tells the prophet Samuel, 
I'm sorry that I made Saul king. He's not fully devoted himself to obeying my word. You know what? It actually broke Samuel's heart. He stayed up all that night crying and praying. It really, really bothered him. And would that be the case more for me, that other people's sin and downfall and disobedience actually bothered me enough to lose sleep and pray and pray and pray all night long? Really, I'm telling you the truth. I, I, I wish I was more like that. And I want to be more like that. When I was reading that in preparation, I thought, why am I not more like that? I want to be more like that, don't you? So Samuel goes to King Saul, and he's not happy because there's disobedience, outright disobedience. And the command was so very clear. So let's pick up in 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, verses 13 through 28. They're going to be on the screen behind you. Samuel came to Saul. Saul said to him, blessed be you by the Lord. So this is after the battle. Everybody's happy. Yeah, we won. Blessed be you by the Lord. I've performed the commandment of the Lord. No, you didn't, you liar. Verse 14. And Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and this lowing of oxen that I hear? By the way, children, bleeding of sheep, this is not bleeding like blood. Bleat with a T, bleating, is like the sound that an animal uh, a sheep makes. No, I'm not going to mimic it. That's what we call it, bleating. So he says, what's this bleeding of sheep in my ears and lowing of oxen? If you've obeyed the Lord, then why am I hearing all these animals making animal noises? Because I told you to even devote all the animals to destruction. So why am I hearing animal noises? It's like a zoo around here. Saul said, they, meaning the people, have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. And Samuel said to Saul, stop. Basically, I'm, stop with these excuses. Just quit it. I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? He's talking about Saul. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them until they are consumed. See, at this point, listen to me. At this point, King Saul was kind of like Nebuchadnezzar in that King Saul was God's hammer to dish out justice. And God can do that if he wants to. Use who he wants to to dish out his justice on the earth. And at this time, it was King Saul. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. It'd be like stealing a bunch of money and then tithing from it. <laughs> sure, I disobeyed the Lord, but I mean, I'm tithing from it. So there's that. And he's saying, the Lord would have rather you have obeyed than to have made a sacrifice. That's what he's saying. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. Children, that's a good one for you to know. Rebellion is as, is as the sin of divination. It's, it's as if you were a witch doctor. It's as if you were a palm reader. It's as if you were those wicked people that talk to the dead or say they do. That's what rebellion is. That's a good word for us. It's a good word for me. That's a whole other sermon. Listen to this. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. And your words, look, why? He tells why he did it. This is where he gets real because now he's saying I sinned. Before he was like, I obeyed, I obeyed, I obeyed. And then Samuel says, this is actually what's true. And then that pricks him to his heart. And now he gets real. And he says, you're right. 
I'm wrong, I've sinned. And then he says why he sinned. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Remember I told you submit to God's word despite what you feel? What was he feeling? He was feeling fear of the people. He's a brand new king. This was his first test as king. And it is sometimes for brand new leaders to actually stand up and say, no, this is what we're going to do because they want to be liked. Of course, they're very fresh because they want to please the people. Who doesn't like to be liked? I like to be liked. You like to be liked. But the truth is, if you're going to be a follower of God, you need to be okay with not being liked. I'm telling you right now, you're going to be a frustrated, ineffective Christian if you're always trying to get people to like you. I'm telling you right now, you need to be okay with not being liked, okay? I'm not kidding you. Especially with the trajectory we're in in our nation right now. I mean, even more so than it was 20 years ago when I became a Christian. To just go ahead and get out. I mean, what I'm saying is, if you think you're in, but you're not sure if you really want to be in, go ahead and get out. You know, if you like to be liked, if you're a people pleaser, if you want everybody to think you're cool, just go ahead and get out because you're getting in our way. You're making Jesus look bad, okay? So be okay with not being liked. Just commit to it now. I'm trying to tell you, commit to it now. He feared the people, he says. I feared their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I might bow before the Lord. Samuel said, I will not return with you, for you've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Then watch this. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. So here's Samuel basically saying, it's going to go bad for you now because you didn't obey. He turns to walk away. Saul, in desperation, lunges towards him like, no, come back. And he grabs his, a little bit of his robe and it rips on accident. And hearing the rip, Samuel looks at him and says, and so the Lord has torn the kingdom away from you. Wow. <laughs> it's like a movie, right? But it's true. And that's what happened with someone who followed his feelings rather than submitting to the word of God. Now let's look at somebody who went with what he wanted instead of submitting to the word of God. Remember David and Bathsheba. David's king. The kings are fighting the peoples around him. And and it's the time for war. It must be the time when the season is uh, more uh, suitable for people to go out and battle. It's not as cold. And so people are fighting. And so he sends all these people out to fight all these battles. Well, David's the king now. And and he doesn't have to go out and fight anymore. He's already proven himself. And now he gets to just stay home as the king and send people out. So he's up on his roof in the cool of the night. Very common in that area of the world to go up on the roof because it's cooler up there. Less bugs and things like that. Even in some places where we were in Central America, the roofs were made so that you could get up on them and uh, for those exact same reasons. And so David's up there just enjoying the cool of the night. And he happens to look down because he's at the top. His building's the biggest. He can see all the other buildings. And he looks through a window and he sees a woman bathing. That's how I always remembered her name was Bathsheba because she was taking a bath when he saw her. And instead of saying, oh my gosh, there's a naked woman over there and walking the other way, What does he do? He keeps looking. This man who has seven wives. You already have seven wives, David, for the love. He's like, hmm, I want that. And he brings her up, commits adultery with her, later finds out she's pregnant. Now he's got to cover all this up. So Uriah the Hittite Her husband is at battle, brings him and says, hey, drink some wine, get drunk, have fun, go, and now just go, go hang out with your wife for the night. I know you miss her. It's been a long time. He says, not so. (laughs) All, All my friends are out in battle dying, and you want me to just come home and have funsies. No, I'm not gonna do that. 
And he refuses to go home and be with his wife and, and be comfortable. <laughs> a man of integrity, a man of honor. So he says, oh, brother, what do I do with this guy? Kind of reminds me of the old me, actually. So he says, all right, I'm going to send this joker back to battle with a letter for the commander of his unit. And I'm going to tell the commander of his unit to send him to the fiercest, roughest, most horrible part of the battle where everybody's dying. And that's what he does. And poor Uriah, of course, he obeys. He's a man of integrity, a man of honor. And he goes to the fiercest part of the battle. And guess what? He dies. Oh, the commander, not knowing all the scheme that's going on, comes back and he's like, oh my gosh. Oh, David's going to be so upset. Okay, what do I do? I'll just tell him. And so he tells him, and he's like, remember Uriah, the gentleman that you told me to send to the fiercest part of the battle? I did so, and, well, he died. And David's like, well, thanks for sending me the news. I'll I'll tread it. Guess I'll bring his wife to be my own, because that's a noble thing to do these days. (laughs) So then the prophet Nathan goes to King David, and he says, David, hey, how's it going? He's like, oh, fine, thanks. He's like, let me tell you a story. David, there was these two men, and one man was so rich, I mean rich, rich, had all these herds and animals and things like that. Well, his neighbor, oh, this poor man, so poor, just had a few children, and he just had one little ewe lamb. A ewe lamb is like a little baby lamb, children. And he loved this lamb like a child. He would hold it in his arms, and he would feed it from his own table. Well, guess what? The rich man, his neighbor, had a visitor one night. And to treat his visitor well, as is the custom in that area of the world, he was going to prepare an animal for him. Well, listen to what this guy did. Instead of getting one of his own hundreds and hundreds of animals, you know what he did? He went over to the poor man's house, got that one lamb that he's got that he loved like a child, and killed it and prepared it for his guest. What do you think about that, David? And David said, as the Lord lives, that man should. Oh, that man should have to pay back four times as much for what he did. Oh, that man's horrible. And this is where we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. 2 Samuel 12, verses 7 through 10. Nathan said to David, you are the man. It's on the screen right behind me. That's what he said to him. You're the man. You're the man I'm talking about. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, delivered out of your hand, delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you even much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? despised the word of the Lord, gone against the word of the Lord, didn't submit to the word of the Lord to do what's evil in his sight. You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. See, the poor man went and got what was his. He says, I'm talking about you. And have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite as your own. And that's true. The The sword did not depart from his house after that. There was so much drama and tragedy in the house of David following this. Everything changed for him after this event. Why? Because David wanted what he wanted, despite knowing what the Word of God said. Saul, based on his feelings of, I'm scared of the people, therefore I will not obey the Word of God, lost the kingdom. David wanted what he wanted, despite what the word of God said, and drama and trouble entered his house until the day he died. What about those that are getting a different message than what the word of God says? Like all the prophets and diviners and sorcerers were saying, oh, don't worry, Nebuchadnezzar's coming, yes, but don't worry, you got this, do not submit to him. That's what the people in our text were saying, where else in the Bible has that happened? And what was the outcome of that? So now let's talk about what we hear. There's a gentleman named King Ahab in the Bible. 
You might also know from the uh, tale uh, Moby Dick that Ahab was named for this Ahab, and that really strange captain who was consumed with finding Moby Dick, remember? And it led to his death. He was named after this Ahab. And by the way, this Ahab is, if not the worst, one of the worst kings that Israel ever had. I mean, wicked, wicked, wicked. So wicked that the Bible says in two different places about this Ahab, he did more evil than all the kings before him. Specifically lays that out. All right? Let's look at this. 1 Kings 22, verses 1 through 18. 1 Kings 22, 1 through 18. On the screen behind me. On the topic of hearing something different from God's word. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. That's Ahab. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, and we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat, the king, said to him, I am as you are. My people are your people. My horses are your horses. Basically, the king of Judah, the king of Israel at that time were hanging out and were sort of friendly. Jehoshaphat was not a horrible king. Ahab was extremely horrible. Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, look, saying, yes, let's go. My people are your people. We're friends. Let's do this. But I've got one request first. Let's just do this one little thing first. Verse 5, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Let's first get get a prophet and see what his advice is. Verse 6, then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Remeth Gilead or shall I refrain? And he said, and they said, all 400, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. All 400 are saying the same thing. Yes, yes, yes. Go up, do it. Verse 7, but Jehoshaphat said, here's Jehoshaphat, who is sort of godly. He's not horrible. He's like, "Ah, this still just isn't really sitting right with me. (laughs) I don't know. I just got a funny feeling in my stomach. And so he says in verse 7, is there not here another prophet of the Lord whom we may inquire? He's like, is there one more? I don't know all 400 are saying something, but I don't know. Is there, is there anybody else we can ask before we go up? And now look at this. <laughs> look at this. Listen to this. Oh, it's so funny. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imla, but I hate him. <laughs> Why do you hate him, King Ahab? For he never prophesies good concerning me. But evil. There's this one other guy that claims he's this God follower, yes, but I hate his guts. Let me tell you why. He always tells me I'm doing bad things, so I hate him. <laughs> like I said, if you want to be liked, just jump out of this Christianity thing, because once you start speaking the truth, a lot of people are going to say, I just hate her. I just, I just hate him. I don't want him around. Don't want him at my party. Don't want to invite him. Don't like him. Because every time he comes around, he's talking about Jesus <laughs> and stuff. Oh, all right. So, <laughs> he doesn't like him around. Let me find where I left off. And he says, oh, let not the king say so. Jehoshaphat's basically saying, don't talk bad about him like that. Don't, don't talk bad about him like that. Verse 9, then the king of Israel summoned an officer saying, bring quickly Micaiah the son of Imla. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. Listen to this. Zedekiah the son of Cheniah made for himself horns of iron. So he makes these horns out of iron, and he's carrying them around while he's prophesying. Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they're destroyed. So he said, ah, you know, prophets are into these visual things, like Jeremiah, right? He says, I'm going to make these horns. And he says, look, like with these horns, king, oh, you're going to kill the Syrians. Trust me. Look, I've got a visual aid. <laughs> Verse 12 
And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who was sent to Micaiah said, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them. Speak favorably. So he goes to this prophet, this guy that he knows is a man of integrity, this guy that he knows stands on the truth of the word of God, and he says, listen, everybody else is saying good things that the king wants to hear. Just say what they're all saying, please. You're such a weirdo and a kook, and we're so tired of you always being contrary to everything. Just agree with him for once, for crying out loud. Come on, bend a little bit. That's what's going on here, okay? I love what he says back. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I'll speak. Basically, I don't care what everybody else is saying. I'm going to say what the Word of God says. Good for you, Micaiah. Unfortunately, Micaiah sort of has a a sad ending. But um, anyway, good on him right now, right? Oh, would that I would be more like that man. And when he had come to the king, watch this though, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we, we, we refrain? And he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it to him, the, the Lord will give it to the hand of the king. Watch this. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you'll speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So either he said it sarcastically or something, but he wasn't convinced. And I'm sure Micaiah was like that. Micaiah was hearing all these other guys dancing around and saying all these things like, yes, you're going to triumph. So he was like, yes, king, go up. You're going to triumph. You're going to do awesome. It's going to be wonderful. Don't worry about it. And the king was like, no, I'm picking up on something here. Yes, I may have, and I'm quite the fool, but I can tell you're not being truthful with me How many times do I have to make you swear to me that you'll tell me the truth? And so he says this. He says, you want the truth? All right, listen up. Verse 17. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? You know what it means if the people of Israel are scattered and have no master? Who's the master of the people of Israel? King Ahab at this time. And he's saying, I saw them all scattered with no master, meaning you're going to die. And guess what happens to King Ahab, everyone? Can you guess? He dies. He's not successful. All 400 of the prophets and even the guy with the horns who later on Slaps Micaiah in the face, by the way. Um, We're all saying, go up, you're going to win. And King Ahab even went to the battle dressed as if he was just a normal man. He said, you know what? I want to take my kingly robe off because you know what that does? That makes me a target. (laughs) They're like, hey, there's the king. Let's get the king. So he says, I'm going to dress up like I'm just a normal guy riding in a chariot. And it says... Some man just shot a, a random shot in the air with his arrow, just randomly shot, you know, because the battle's over there. He's like, I'm going to try to hit somebody. And it says that arrow went through the one part of the armor where he could get into flesh, and that arrow killed King Ahab. It didn't matter what King Ahab did. He dressed differently, put on armor. God said, my word will be fulfilled through a random arrow in the one chink in your armor. So here's somebody who was going with what he heard and what he wanted to hear despite submitting to the word of God. So listen, submitting to God's will concerning everything is our only option despite what we feel and despite what we want and despite what we hear. Submitting to God's will, especially when it comes to this, the one way of salvation. Because the world will tell you there's many ways, or maybe there's no way at all. But the Bible says there's one way to God, and Jesus made that clear. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
For despite what you feel about God's one way, despite what you want about God's one way, despite what you hear about God's one way, and also despite when it comes to submitting to God's will in any area, sexuality, money, life, children, any of these things, submitting to God's will in his word is the only way to success. And it's definitely the only way through salvation because there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. That's the message. That's the message we get from Jeremiah 27. And I pray that God helps you walk in that today. Will you please bow with me? Father, I want to ask that you would please apply your eternal truths to our hearts this morning, and I pray that you would please give us grace to always be lovingly, joyfully submitting to the truth of your word. You have revealed so much to us in your word. Lord, 66 books that give us so much about you, life, godliness, and I pray, Lord, that you would give us grace to walk in it, every part of it, please, and to walk knowing that we're pleasing you when we're walking in submission to your word. So it doesn't matter who we displease if we're pleasing you, Father. And give us grace. And give us grace also to share the truth with others, Lord, that they may come. And to share it lovingly and boldly and with compassion in our voices, in our eyes. Because we want others to be saved. We want others to be saved. And I pray that you would be saving others. We love you, Lord, and I pray this in Jesus' name.